Good morning. I do hope that uh, you'll give some consideration to that if you've not been through it. Uh, We know that we cannot give away to those in need something we don't possess ourselves. And so uh, this first and foremost is an opportunity for you to be equipped in the scriptures so that you can grow not only in your own faith, but then as God, as Tony said, not if, but when brings people across your path who are in need of hope and help that you are equipped in the scriptures to give them hope and help. So it begins with a core question. Do you believe this book, the word of God, is life and truth? Okay, that's where it all starts. If we don't believe that, then you ought to stay home in those days. But if we believe that this is life and hope and truth, then to be equipped in it, to be able to counsel our own hearts with it, and to be able to meet others in their time of need is one of our greatest privileges. Believing that this is truth and life and hope, I want you to take it out now if you would, whether it's a hard copy or on an electronic device, and open to Genesis chapter 39. We are, between now and the end of 2020, going to finish Genesis. Somebody said, really, you've blown through this book. And I thought, I don't think a year in Genesis would qualify as blowing through. But we are going to blow through the final chapters because it all focuses on a man named Joseph. And Joseph, not as in the dad of Jesus, but Joseph as in in the son of Jacob. And here is, from the start, what I hope God will do in my heart and your heart in the next month. That we will, because of what we see in God through the life of Joseph. Do you see that? Not what we see in Joseph, but what we see in God through the life of Joseph. That you and I will be strengthened in our own faith. Very practically, that whatever's going on in your life individually or your marriage, or your family, or your health, or your work, that you would be strengthened to trust God more. When it comes down to it, is that not what really the Christian life is about? Trusting God. When things are like awesome, and when they're horrible. Does it take a trust in God when things are hard? Yeah. And when they're awesome? Oh, I don't need to trust God when things are awesome, just when they're hard. Well, because when they're awesome, we're just as prone to forget God as when they're horrible to think that God has forgotten us. So, very simply, we're going to look at the life of Joseph and see God whom we can trust. So we're going to start by going, I'm going to take you through uh, a survey, you might say, of the life of Joseph real quickly, because we can't read, well, we could, but I don't think you showed up to read 13 chapters together. But you could do that at home. See, the life of Joseph actually begins there in Genesis 37. We take a detour in 38. It's a rather interesting detour, which we're not going to address Uh, this morning or the next month. I'd I'd like to, but I just don't have enough weeks in the year. So we're going to skip 38. Maybe some Sunday I'll just 
jump back into Genesis 38. Fascinating, totally non-typical Bible story. Genesis 38. And then 39 through 50. So here is the life of Joseph in his ups and downs. It starts out by telling us that Joseph, the son of Jacob, was favored by dad. Is that an up, favored, or is that a down? You think being favored is an up? Yeah, you need to get to know the life of Joseph a little bit better then. Because being favored by dad was not an up for Joseph. It was a true, more than just neutral, it was a downer. Do you know why? Because it caused his brothers to be against him. So he was kind of on the out. Joseph, as a young son of Jacob, was on the out with his brothers. But God gave him a dream. And the dream was that he would rule over his brothers and his brothers would actually bow down to him. That wasn't his dream. That was God's dream given to Joseph. And it wasn't just that dream. Then there was the dream that not only his brothers would bow down, but his mom and dad and his brothers would bow down to him. And who gave him that dream? I can't hear you. God, God gave him that dream. And so he has, he thinks as a young man, a life of prestige and honor and greatness in front, of, in front of him. Until he goes to see his brothers one day, sent by dad, and his brothers see him coming from far off and they go, let's kill him. Is that an up or a down? <laughs> they plan to kill him. But when he arrives, they say, let's not kill him. Let's sell him into slavery. Because we hate him enough that a lifetime of slavery would be a lot better than a quick death. So Joseph goes from dreams to slavery. But God is with Joseph and he actually finds favor in his master's eyes. So you're a slave, but your owner likes you. So much so that as a slave, he becomes an overseer. In fact, his owner Potiphar gives him control of the entire house. He only answers to Potiphar. Joseph, the slave, runs the place until Potiphar's wife accuses him of rape. That's a downer. Falsely accused of rape. And Potiphar, even though he had put Joseph as overseer of the house, sides his wife, and Joseph ends up in prison for something he didn't do. That's a downer. Ever been that low? Probably, probably, maybe you're low, different low. But to be in prison for something you didn't do? But the Lord's with Joseph. And he becomes favored by the prison 
captain. And then some men from the Pharaoh's court get imprisoned with Joseph and they have a dream and Joseph interprets their dream. And those who are close to Pharaoh say, we will not forget you. And so he thinks, ah, I'm on my way out. But you know what Genesis chapter 40, verse 23 says? You can look. What's Genesis 40, 23 say about Joseph being told, I'll remember you. What happened? He is forgotten. Ever feel forgotten? But it was only for a few days. Or actually, what does the first verse say? The next chapter. It's one thing to be forgotten for a day, a week, a month. Forgotten how long? Two full years. Until you think, I'm just going to rot in prison for something I didn't do. And then Pharaoh has a dream. And the guy who had forgotten goes, hey, I remember a guy. I had a dream and he told me exactly what it meant. And it was right. And Pharaoh said, well, bring me that dude. And they took Joseph from prison, cleaned him up, and brought him to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh told Joseph his dream. And Joseph said, well, here is what it means. And Pharaoh was like, you are smarter than anybody else I've ever met with. I'm going to make you second in command of all of Egypt. You're going to only answer to me. Like you only answered to Potiphar in the house and you only answered to the prison captain in prison. You're now going to only answer to me in all the kingdom." And Joseph, in this position, saves thousands of people from famine, including his family, who his brothers come in search of food, and guess what they do? Remember a dream? They literally bow down to him. And more than 13 years after They sold him into slavery. They're bowing down to him, begging for their lives. And he saves their lives and has a family reunion. And he ultimately dies with his family around him. Now let me ask you, have you had highs and lows in your life? I don't know if you've ever done one of those ups and downs, the roller coasters of your life. As I thought about my life, I've had ups and I've had downs, and I've had ups and downs and ups and downs. But my, my downs have never been as down as Joseph, and my ups have never been as up as Joseph either. Here's the beauty of it. 
maybe, maybe, but doubtful have any of us had as highs and lows of Joseph. Falsely in prison and forgotten in prison or unless we've got a, the vice president in the house or he's watching, welcome. Um, <clears throat> it's, it's probably different, right? But here's my point. If we can see a God who this man, Joseph, can trust, can you trust him in your highs and your lows and your lowest lows? Can you trust him? See, Joseph's life, Joseph's life can boil down to five stages. First, he was chosen by God. I told you the, the story why. Now, here's the big categories. He is chosen by God. He, he of all the brothers is selected. You're going to be the one that the other brothers are going to bow, <clears throat> bow down to. <clears throat> but then he was enslaved. He was enslaved in Egypt. <clears throat> then he was supernaturally delivered. He is able to interpret dreams that nobody else can do that, can. And how can he do that? By his own admission, how can he do that? Only by God. He's very clear with her. I can't do this, but God can interpret it. God can tell you what it means. So it's a, not just delivered, it's a supernaturally delivered. And then he becomes the instrument of God. He's the instrument of God for thousands, including his family, being saved from famine. And then, you know what happens? He's finally taken home. What's that mean? What does it mean that he was finally taken home after having been chosen, enslaved, delivered, the instrument of God, he's taken home? Well, Hebrews 11, which is a chapter that deals with all the men of faith, well, excuse me, not all the men of faith, some of the men of faith chosen from the Old Testament times. Joseph is in Hebrews 11. Here's what it says about him. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the exodus of the sons of Israel and gave orders concerning his bones. You know what his orders were? Take me back home. When y'all go home, don't leave me here because this is not my home. This is not where I belong. Now, why was that by faith? Because when Joseph said that, they weren't even enslaved yet. There was no need for an exodus because enslavement had not even happened yet. He, he makes mention of an exodus that doesn't happen till more than 400 years later. But he demonstrates something pretty powerful for you and I. Even at the highest of high in his life, what did he recognize? This is not my home. See, the great danger for you and for me is 
when life is like really good, like what we've been living for, when we kind of have everything we've always wanted and life's just hitting on all cylinders, we can begin to think what? This is home. And Joseph, the top of the world goes, this isn't home. Take me home where I really belong. Now, the observations for me in the life of Joseph in seeing that is that his story is actually a preview of coming stories. It's a preview of the story of Israel. I don't know if you ever thought about this. I actually didn't. It was actually studying again this year in 2020, looking at the life of Joseph. I went, huh, his story is a preview of what Israel would endure. Meaning what? Chosen by God, right? Abraham, I'm going to make you a father of... A great nation. And through you, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. He chose Abraham. But then Israel was, what happened to Joseph? Enslaved, right? For 400 years in Egypt. And then, you got your cheat sheet in front of you. And then supernaturally delivered. Ten plagues, Red Sea. Israel crosses, Egyptians drown. Man, they become the instrument of God through which the Redeemer, the Messiah, would come and then home. It's not only the story of Israel, it's our story. See, Joseph's story is our story. Well, how's our story begin? Chosen by God. It's the story every believer is chosen by God. If you're not sure about that, hang to January of 2021 and we're going to start Ephesians chapter 1. And by the, dumb, by the time we're done with Ephesians 1, you're going to go, huh, we were chosen by God like Joseph was. That's what we're going to do in 2021, book of Ephesians. We're going to blow through it. <laughs> Six chapters in a year. <clears throat> Chosen by God, and then what? Enslaved. Were you enslaved? Slave to sin. And then what? Supernaturally delivered. For what purpose? Become an instrument of God. And ultimately, what's our hope? <laughs> Whether the end of life were here. Or at the end of life, we are I'm working off my turkey, if you're wondering why I'm doing all this. <laughs> when life here, what are we ultimately hoping for? Taken home. So sitting home. Don't miss this, friends. When we look at the life of Joseph, we're looking at our story. And that matters. Because what we see in the life of Joseph is a template for what you and I can believe every single day between now and when we are taken home. See, the significance of Joseph's story is this. That we can know because what we see in his story, which is a preview of our story, that as God was always with Joseph, God is always with us. Always. Now, I don't know. You may go, oh, come on. That's like 
kindergarten stuff. I've known that since I was a, ch- a child. Oh, yeah, I know that you've potentially known it, but have you known it? You know the difference between knowing something and knowing something, right? You know the difference between something that is theoretical knowledge, that you have the facts, and then experiencing God was with me in spite of how dark and hard and lonely I felt God was with me. Do you know that Genesis goes out of its way? Turn in the scriptures there to Genesis chapter 39. And what does it tell us about Joseph? Well, where is he in Genesis 39? He is enslaved in Potiphar's house. And you know what it says about him? The Lord was with Joseph. So he became a successful man and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And now his master saw, see, this is beautiful. The, the master saw the Lord was with him. See, that's not just intellectual knowledge. It was when, when Joseph was a slave, was he here or was he here? He was, when he was enslaved, he was here. And the scripture goes out of the way that says, when you are down and feel out, where's the Lord? With you. Huge question. Does anybody recognize the Lord is with you like Joseph's master went? Man, the Lord is upon that dude. See, your co-workers go, Lord is with you. How about your children? It's always hardest at home, right? It's always hardest there. That's where the real you just lets to come on out. Can your spouse go, it's evident that the Lord is with you. Your siblings your parents, teenagers. We got junior high down in junior high watching down there. So junior hires, to the parents that God has given you, do they know because of the life that you live, the Lord is with you? It's a powerful question. It's one thing for Joseph to know, the Lord's with me. It's another thing to live in such a manner that other people go, Lord's with you. Can see it. Can sense the presence of God when I'm with you. It's a preview of our story. So Joseph's master took him and put him into the jail, the place. This is after he's falsely accused. And you know what it says? The place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there, Joseph in jail, for something he didn't do. But the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him and gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. I don't think it's an accident, friends, that at the two lowest places in Joseph's life that the scripture goes out of the way to tell us what? The Lord was with him. It's a preview of what we can know. The Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find, this is after he interprets the dream, can we find a man like this in whom is a divine spirit. 
Man, I love that. Wherever he went, enslaved, in jail, and in the palace. What Pharaoh experience? The Lord's with that guy. What the jailer experience? The Lord's with that guy. What his master experience? The Lord's with that guy. It's not only a profound encouragement to me as an individual that I can know that the Lord will always be with me. It's a profound challenge that that fact would be manifest, visible, obvious to others. So Jesus says to his disciples after he's been with them three years, I'm going to ask the Father and he'll give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be. This is prior to Pentecost. He is with you now and he will be in you. Why will he be in you? Because you are sons. God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts. Don't miss this. Can every person on the planet say, God is with me? Can they? No, 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 no. Can every person on the planet say, God is my creator? Yes, whether they believe it or not, that's the truth. But who gets to say, God is with me? Those whom... He is called sons. And but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Don't miss. I hear lots of people go, oh, the Lord was with me. What they really mean is, I've not trusted in Jesus to, my savior, to be my savior. I just, things worked out the way I hoped they'd work out. So God was with me. It's just not true. I, I want us to understand. What, can I have your eyes for a moment? What makes us profoundly Christian is that Jesus lives in us. Don't miss that. What makes us profoundly Christian is that Christ lives in us and he does not live in those who are not his children. The presence of God is not just a childhood fact. The presence of God within us makes all the difference in how we handle the highs and the lows in the life and how people experience us. To experience us ought to be to experience him. See, Paul declares by his own testimony, I've been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives where? In me. And the life which I now live in this flesh, I live by faith. I live trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So that whether I'm at a low point, at a hard point, because of my job, because of my health, because of my relationships, God is where? He's with me. He is in me. And so I live by faith, trusting him in the low. And whether... Man, life is sweet. And I walk through the valley where still waters and green pastures. The Lord is with me. I don't forget him. He's in me. And I trust him 
in my prosperity as much as I trust him in my adversity. He's with me. The presence of God. It genuinely makes all the difference. And not just with me, but in me. No personal story. My life as a follower of Jesus radically changed when I went from understanding that God was with me so that God, through his spirit, lived in me. Radically changed my life. If that has not radically changed your life, then I got to tell you, the most important thing that you would ask of the Lord today would be, God, would you, by your grace, open my eyes that I might understand not only Jesus as my Savior, Jesus is the one who has paid the penalty for my sin, but Jesus as the one by his Spirit who dwells in me and is always with me so that I can trust him regardless of my circumstances. He is with me because he is in me. And in him, I have everything that I need for life and for godliness. I can live godly in prison. I can live godly in cancer. I can live godly in unemployment. I can live godly cast out and despised. And I can live godly in affluence and popularity. Why? As, as I who no longer lives, but Christ who lives in me. The presence of God makes all the difference. It's how we live by faith. The second fundamental, significant truth of Joseph's story as a preview of our story is that God is always working for his redemptive purposes. He's always with me and he is always working. Now I'm building, in case you have missed it, that because he's always with and he's always working, I can always trust him. Because that's where we're, that's the goal this month, right? Regardless, I always can trust him. Why? Because he's always with me and he's always working for his redemptive purposes. Joseph declares to his brothers because they're, they're scared out of the mind that now that he knows who they are and they know who he is and by the way, and dad is dead so he doesn't have to like play the game. When dad dies, the brothers are convinced that Joseph is gonna get revenge. But instead he says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. What is God's redemptive purpose? To preserve many people alive, not just physically, but to serve many people alive spiritually, that those who are dead in their sins would through faith in Jesus be born again and come alive to live life abundantly and to live life eternally. That's God's redemptive purpose. 
You see, he says, that's what I was doing in Joseph. And Joseph's story was a preview of the story of Israel. And when Israel fails to enter into the promised land, they rebel because they're afraid of the giants. What God says to them in that moment to Moses is, as I live, all the earth will be filled with the glory of God. See, I will not be stopped from my purpose. My redemptive purposes are the earth is going to be filled with my glory. And you know what that is? That's not smoke. That's not bright light. That's not something abstract. You know when the earth is filled with the glory of God? When people who were once dead in their sins come alive. And they live abundant life in preparation for home, eternal life. That is his redemptive people. It's purpose. It's for more people having more life. And God says, that's what I'm always working towards. It's what I was doing in Joseph's life. It's what I was doing in Israel's life. And it's what I'm doing in whose life? In your life, if you're a child of God. He's always working. Peter declares, don't let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. You see, when you're forgotten in prison, one day feels like what? A thousand years. And when your family's getting torn apart, one day feels like a thousand years. And when you can't find a job, one day feels like a thousand years. And when you're waiting for your test results from the doctor, one day feels like a thousand years, right? And you're like, God, could we hurry it up? Have you never wanted God to hurry it up? And he's going, hmm, feels like a thousand years to me today. Why? Because he stands outside of time. He doesn't have your watch on his wrist. What he has is his eternal purpose. And his eternal purpose is this. He's not slow but is patient, not wishing for any to perish, but for, say the next word, all, more people finding what? More life. God is always working in your highs, in your lows, in your in-betweens, because life is not a bunch of highs and lows, is it? <laughs> Life's a lot of day in, day out, what you and I might consider the mundane. Does God work in the mundane? Does God work in the mundane? Yes, he does. Not just in the highs, not just in the lows, but he is always working. He is always with. Always working that more people would come to find more life in Jesus. Paul declares, for all things are for your sakes, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. You see, 
I really never understood this whole concept of glorify God, glorify God, glorify God. It seemed to be something so abstract, and it's not abstract. The glory of God is not abstract. The glory of God is very concrete. It's people finding life in the low, the high, and the mundane. It's finding life in Jesus. And you, in your day in and day out, in every relationship the Lord has given you, in whatever circumstances you're in right now, of you saying, I'm trusting God who's in me and working to demonstrate that he is life and truth and hope. Always working. And third, he's always using his children as his instruments. See, that Joseph goes, <clears throat> you, you meant it for harm, but God was working. He was filling the earth with his glory. He was working so that more people would find life. And I was his instrument. And watch, I was not only his instrument, I am his instrument. He says to his brothers who thought they were going to be killed by him, he says instead, don't be afraid. I'll provide for you and your little ones. And he, he, the one who had been betrayed by them, he comforted them and he provided for them and he spoke kindly to them. Now, who ultimately provides for people? God does. How does he often provide for people? Through people. Who ultimately comforts people? Well, the God of all comfort is the one who can only really comfort us. But how does he, the God of all comfort, comfort people? Through people. God is kind, but most of us experience the kindness of God through people. You see, God is always working for his redemptive purposes. What's his redemptive purpose? More people finding more life. So how is he using you? What is he using you for as his instrument? For more people finding more life in Jesus. That, that, is, that is the purpose that God is working toward and how he intends to use every one of us. Now here's what's interesting. Is the goal by the next month for all of us to go, God, I've been looking for you to see thousands of people through me. No. That was Joseph's. That was Joseph's role. See, the scripture declares it's by grace we've been saved through faith. It's not of ourselves. It's a gift. Salvation, forgiveness is a gift. You cannot earn it. You can't pay it back. It's a gift you can only 
receive it. And if it's a gift, then I can't boast in myself. I can only boast in, wow, God is a great giver. For we are, next word, his. His workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Friends, don't miss this. You're a unique work of God for a unique walk that he has prepared for you. And you are a unique work of God for a unique walk that he's prepared for you. And you, and you. I can't walk your walk. Why? Because God didn't work me for your walk. God worked me for my walk. And God worked for you for your walks, God. Nobody else's, only you. It's a unique work of God for a unique walk. Now, it all goes to the same area, right? <laughs> Filling the earth with his glory. It's, it's good works. It's finding more people finding more life. That's the same goal, but the unique walk is according to God's unique work in you. And so, one of the most encouraging things for me is when Paul, when he talks about in Corinthians, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. You know what that means? That means that God has given me some gifts and given you some gifts different than my gifts, and you some gifts different than my, my gifts and his gifts, and you gifts and you gifts and you gifts, Peter. Different gifts, right? A variety of gifts. But the same Lord chose each of the gifts for each of us uniquely. And there's a variety of ministries. See, there could be seven of us in here of the unique gift of teaching, but that unique gift of teaching would be expressed in a unique ministry, a variety of ministries. Not everybody with the same gift does the same thing. There's a variety of gifts, and then within that gift, there's a variety of ministries. Now watch. And there are varieties of effects. You know what I say to that? Not fair. Seriously, I'm talking to my son about this this past week off of vacation. He's going, that one, that one just kind of really bugs me, dad. And I could envision him as a three-year-old with his brother going, not fair. Why is it that some people God uses to save thousands and other people God uses to save two. Well, he loves them less, obviously, right? Okay, this is when you shout, no! <laughs> Come on, folks. Do he loves them less? No, thank you, no! 
Why is it that God chooses to save thousands through some and two through others? Because it's a unique work for a unique walk. Because there's a variety of gifts, variety of ministries, and variety of effects. But the same God, the same Lord, the same Spirit who works all things in all all persons. In other words, it's the same goal. More people finding more life in Jesus. You see, it's possible that we could finish in a month the life of Joseph and you kind of go, I'm down. Seems like God uses some people in really like big ways. Me in just little ways. Ever feel that way? Why is Christian Family Chapel just a medium-sized church in Mandarin? I don't mind saying, because the Lord gives a variety of gifts and ministries and effects. It's not an excuse for me to be lazy or you to be lazy. Or for us to just kick up our feet is to go, Lord, I'm going to be faithful to the gifts you've given, to the ministries you've given to exercise those gifts, and the effects just as much your deal as what gifts you gave me. That's up to you, Lord. I don't want you to finish this study and go, I'm kind of depressed because I want to be like Joseph and I'm just kind of like a, a nobody. Who got to fulfill Joseph's role? One person, Joseph. See, my point is no one but Joseph can fulfill Joseph's role. Why? A unique walk for a unique work. But we can all be Archippus. Well, who in the world's that? That's my point. We can all be archivists. We can all be people who go, well, I never even heard of him. Well, or maybe you did. He shows up in Colossians 4, 17. Say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. Take heed to which ministry? The ministry you have received. From whom? The Lord. You've been given a gift. You have if you're a child of God. You've been given a ministry. You have if you're a child of God. And an impact you have. It's just up to the Lord. What gift, what ministry, and, and what impact? What's up to you? Take heed. Fulfill it. Trust God. When it seems like you're on the path to nowhere and life stinks and you feel trapped. Trapped. 
And if you're here, who got you here? Well, your own hard work. No! <laughs> who got you here? Yeah, the Lord got you here. Is it really true that the same Lord that put Joseph in second command of Egypt is the same the Lord that put him in prison for something he didn't do? Uh-huh. See, if you believe that, you can trust God always. Whatever's going on in your life right now, like it, don't like it, planned it, didn't plan it, you can trust God always. Why? Because he's always with you. He's always working. And he's always using you for a few people or a pile of people finding more life. I invite you to bow with me. This is really just a personal moment for you. It's the only reason I ask you to bow, that you would just close your eyes and don't think about what God is doing through other people. Don't be distracted by what he's not doing in your life right now. Instead, whatever's going on in your life right now, financially, would you say to the Lord, Lord, I trust you. Whatever's going on in your life right now, health-wise, would you say to the Lord, Lord, I trust you. Whatever's going on in your life relationally, you say to the Lord, I trust you. That is, that is the privileged invitation for his children. If you've heard all of this, but you've never trusted in Jesus, that's the first step of trust in this new relationship. To trust that God has paid the penalty for your sin and your guilt through the sending of his son to be your savior. I would invite you, if you've never said to God, God, I admit that I'm a sinner, I deserve your wrath, but I trust that your son has paid my penalty, that you would tell him that right now. that if he has, that if you have trusted in him, that you would declare, Lord, I don't know, I know you're with me always. And you're working always. I trust you in the highs and in the lows. To the praise of your glory, I ask that you would be glorified.